At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. We invite you to join us for our series, Habits, Ancient Practices for Today's World, where we'll learn to reject culture's endless stream of quick fixes for God's time-tested truth. Together, we'll rediscover age-old practices that draw us to Him, where true satisfaction awaits. We're continuing to worship God through opening the Scriptures. Acts chapter 13, and just the first few verses. Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. So we're doing this short sermon series called Habits. Um, And what the campus pastors did collectively was come up with, I believe, 14 different spiritual disciplines. They're the spiritual disciplines listed by Richard Foster in his book, Celebration of Discipline, which is a really well-known book on the spiritual disciplines, Celebration of Discipline by Richard Foster. And each one of the campus pastors wrote a sermon um, on one of the 14. And then we, for the three sermons, we get to choose of those 14. Which ones are we going to do? So Jim, last week, uh, chose prayer and focused on prayer for us. And this week, I'm focusing on the spiritual discipline of guidance, of guidance, Now, most of the writing uh, related to the way God guides relates to the way how God guides individuals. So if you search Google for a book on spiritual guidance, a Christian book on spiritual guidance, it'll probably focus more on decisions you make as an individual. Where should I live? Where should I work? Who should I marry? Those are, the, those are the three big ones, right? Um, individual guidance. And certainly the Bible does have a lot to say about that. Um, however, there's not as much focus on the way God corporately guides his people. Yes, God guides us as individuals. Um, but for sure, and maybe even more emphatically, God guides us as a people. God guides us as a group. And so Foster in his book focuses on corporate guidance And that's something that I want to do as well. Now, of course, there's some overlap, right? We are a group, but we're a group of individuals, so there's some overlap. And the way we're doing that is by opening up Book of Acts. As soon as I kind of got this assignment to focus on this, I thought, where else but the Book of Acts? There's so many differences between us and the Old Testament saints that I thought, uh, we are what the Book of Acts was. We are a New Testament church. So it's a great place to learn how God leads his people. And definitely, the book of Acts is going somewhere, right? Literally going somewhere. The book of Acts starts in Jerusalem after the crucifixion, after the resurrection. The disciples are still there, right? They're in Jerusalem. And then what happens? Pentecost, right? Acts chapter 2. And before Pentecost, before the Holy Spirit falls, Jesus says in Acts chapter 1, the Holy Spirit is going to fall, and then you are going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. And that's what happens. There's this geographical pull outward. You know, they start in Jerusalem, and then persecution intensifies, pushing them out of Jerusalem, and then they continue to spread even to the end of the earth. So by the end of Acts chapter 28, Paul is in Rome. Paul's a long way away, and it's because the gospel has taken him there, and God's mission and call in his life had taken him there. So the book of Acts is a great place guidance because God is definitely guiding his people through the book of Acts. And we're in Acts chapter 13. We're kind of right in the middle of the book of Acts. Saul has been converted to Paul. 
Um, I believe he is referred to as Saul here, though, if I'm not mistaken. Um, if he says Paul, Saul, he's talking about Paul. Um, and now, again, they're deciding on where they should go, how they should move outward, but more importantly, who should move outward. Who from among them in Antioch is where they are now should be sent out to continue to take the gospel? That's the question they're asking themselves. And that's where we're going to pick it up. So Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3, brothers and sisters, hear the words of our God. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on Barnabas and Saul and sent them off. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Follow the leader. This phrase we often hear in kindergarten as school children lining up to go to the next activity. Follow the leader, we're told in gym class or the sports field. Learning a new move or a new technique. Follow the leader is our directions when we're at our first job. We're learning to make hamburgers or learning how to operate a lawnmower. Follow the leader is what we're told in basic training when we're just beginning in our military time or when we show up at team practice to learn a new play or when we show up in the kitchen to learn a new recipe or when we show up at exercise class to perform a new movement. Follow the leader. So my wife and I began a new dieting plan to make some changes to our eating habits and accomplish some nutritional goals recently. And we've done a few diets with some success in the past, but this one's been very different because when we've done dieting plans before, we would read about the diet, learn the different rules, and then try and go do it. But this time is different, namely because we have a Faster Way to Fat Loss certified coach. Her name is Christy. So Meg and I aren't simply trying to do this diet on our own, no, we are being led. We are being taught. We are being guided. So Christy posts to our Facebook group every day, sharing the plan for that day, sharing the purpose behind what we're doing. She calls us to see how things are going. She texts us, asks us if we have any questions. She checks in to make sure we understand. And so we're not just wandering through this diet. We're following the leader. And this is the way God designed life to work, by following the leader. And we've got this built into us in so many areas of life that we're supposed to follow the leader. So children follow their parents. Students follow their teachers. Athletes follow their coaches. Soldiers follow their captain. Employees follow their boss. Citizens follow their public officials. Dieters follow their dieting coach. We follow the leader. This is the way life works. But despite seeing this dynamic play out in so much of the rest of life, is this how we view our church life? 
Despite the follower-leader dynamic playing out in relationships between parent and child, player and coach, employee and boss, and so on, do we see this dynamic at work in our relationship with God? Do we show up for God ready to be led, or do we show up as consumers, just wanting a little spiritual pick-me-up each week? Do we engage in our relationship with Jesus as a disciple ready to be guided, or do we relate as a customer, just shopping around for a pat on the back and self-affirmation for my preconceived notions? Do we participate in church as a participant in a global gospel movement? Or do we show up just wanting some country club-like socialization? Brothers and sisters, if you are in Christ, you are a disciple following Rabbi Jesus. You are a citizen of heaven following King Jesus. You are a sheep following the shepherd of our souls, Jesus. We are participants in spiritual warfare, workers in a global mission intended to follow the leadership of our warrior, king, savior, Jesus. And so as we think about the spiritual rhythm of guidance, here's our main point for this lesson. God guides his people for his kingdom purposes. God guides his people for his kingdom purposes. This truth is rooted in who God is. God is the Lord of hosts who leads the armies of heaven. Jesus is the shepherd of our souls who guides his flock and leads us in paths of righteousness. God is our heavenly father who leads his children into maturity and strength. And he is the eternal king who oversees and leads his kingdom for his glory. God guides us, God guides you, his people, for his kingdom purposes. So the question we're asking ourselves today is, how? How does God guide his people? What does it look like, practically speaking, for God to execute leadership in our midst? And to answer this question, we're turning to Acts chapter 13, verses 1 through 3. Just a few quick verses, but there's much for us to learn about how God guides his people. Four things, in fact. Four things about how God guides his people. First, we see that God guides his people through a variety of gifts. God guides his people through a variety of gifts. So look back at verse one again. Luke writes, Luke is the author of the book of Acts. Luke writes, now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers, Barnabas, Simeon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, Manian, a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul. So Luke here highlights five different leaders of the church in Antioch as they prepare to make this important decision about the future of the church. Now we could just say that Luke lists these five leaders for the sake of historical record, and surely there is some importance to the 
historical record of what happened. But it's also striking just how much variety and how much diversity exists among each one of these gifted men. So the city of Antioch was a cosmopolitan city, meaning that it was a city that belonged to the Lord. I Googled it. That's what cosmopolitan means. A city that belongs to the cosmos, that belongs to the world, because there were inhabitants in the city from all over the world. Not unlike the cities uh, of New York or the city of Detroit where there are Africans and Asians and Middle Easterners and Midwesterners and Europeans and Hispanics and so on. Antioch was like that, with a lot of diversity and variety in where its citizens came from. And along with this geographical diversity, there was also a lot of cultural and religious and economic diversity. And the leadership of the church reflects these five men, reflect that diversity and who they are and where they're from. So first, Luke mentions Barnabas. Barnabas was from the, city, from the island of Cyprus. We learned this earlier in the book of Acts. He's from the island of Cyprus, just west, west of Lebanon in the Mediterranean Sea. Then he mentions Simeon, who was from Africa because of his surname, Niger, which was likely a reference to his dark complexion. Next, he mentions Lucius, of whom it's noted he's from Cyrene, um, which is a city in modern-day Libya. So Lucius was also an African. Libya is an African country. Then Luke mentions Manian, and we're told about Manian that he was a close friend of Herod the Tetrarch, which likely indicates that he's from Galilee, the northern part of Judea. And finally, he mentions Saul, who later becomes Paul, who was from Tarsus, in Cilicia, way up around the Mediterranean coast. So from all these different homelands, these different leaders have been brought together to lead the church in Antioch. And not only were their hometowns different locations, but there would have been other important cultural distinctions between them. There were differences in language. Niger and Lucius both have Latin names, and thus would have more naturally spoken Latin. But the others, Barnabas, Manian, and Saul, would have more commonly spoken Greek. There were differences also in class. Manian, for instance, as a lifelong friend of Herod the Tetrarch, would have been on the upper crust of Roman society, but not nearly so for the others. Manian lived in the mansion on the hill, while the other men would have lived on the other side of the train tracks, as it were. There would have been difference in education levels and education types. So Saul and Manian would have been well-educated. We know Saul was well-educated. He says so himself in Philippians when he's kind of going through his resume. Would have been well-educated well, but even then, their education type was different. Saul was religious and Manian would have been secularly educated. There would have been other standard differences of people coming together from different cultures, different styles different accents, different preferences, different skin tones, different political sensitivities. And so we could go on and on like this. Despite all this variety, they are brought together here in leadership of the body of Christ. These leaders are, div these leaders are the diverse gifts 
to the Antiochian church in order to be used by God to guide his people for his kingdom purposes. But also notice with these cultural differences and background differences, there are also a range of gifts. So Luke records for us again in verse one. Now there were in the church at Antioch prophets and teachers. Now he doesn't tell us which ones were which, prophets or teachers, and perhaps all of them were both prophets and teachers. And there's a lot of debate about prophecy in the New Testament. And I want to get into the weeds of that debate, but we can perhaps generalize that prophecy focused on exhortation, critique, encouragement, and at times, prophecy related to the disclosure of future events. While teachers are more focused on exposition and explanation directly from the scriptures. So you see the variety here. You see the balance and range of these spiritual gifts, prophecy and teaching. The church needs both. And that's what we see in the Antiochian church. God is guiding his people through a variety of gifts. So there's not one single dominating leader. Instead, there is a plurality of leaders. And there's not one single type of leader. Instead, there's a variety of backgrounds and cultures and personalities represented. And there's not one single gift among these leaders. Instead, there's a balance between prophecy and teaching. So here are some questions we should be asking ourselves in light of this truth. Are we encouraging and promoting and working for this kind of unity and diversity among our leaders? Are we expectantly praying that God would raise up leaders among us from the different economic statuses, different educational levels, different languages spoken, different homelands, and other differences, all coming together under Christ to lead his people? It's this kind of unity in diversity leadership that we see here in Acts 13, and it's this kind of leadership that particularly honors God because it shows us the transformative power of the gospel to bring people together from every tribe, tongue, and nation. We also need to ask ourselves, are we praying for the full range of spiritual gifts to be utilized? within the body of Christ. We don't just need teachers. We need prophets. And you could extend that to the other spiritual gifts as well. We don't just need the gift of serving. We need the gift of giving. We don't just need the gift of evangelism. We need the gift of mercy. We don't just need the gift of discernment. We need the gift of exhortation. And we could go on and on like that. That's the problem with the Corinthian church. If you read Paul's letters to the Corinthians, they were elevating certain gifts over others and not experiencing the full range of God's gifts to his people. But we see, at least in brief, a better balance and a fuller variety of God's gift being utilized in the Antiochian church. So, church, let's pray Let's work toward the full variety of God's gifts being utilized at Woodside Lapeer, thus enabling us to be led by God himself. How does God lead his people? 
through a variety of gifts, through a variety of gifted leaders, and through a variety of spiritual gifts. Secondly, God leads his people collective worship and fasting. Through collective worship and fasting. So look next at verse 2. Just this first part. While they were worshiping and fasting. So leading up to God's guidance being provided, God's people are worshiping and fasting. As they look to God in worship, God leads them into the future. As they seek God through fasting, God guides them into his purposes. And so this means we are not to be passive participants in the process of God guiding his church. We are to actively engage through worship and fasting. If we are apathetic, if we are indifferent, if we are passive as it relates to God's guidance of us as a church, then we are not going to get guided along very far. If we are content with the status quo, if we are content to sit back on cruise control, then we are not going to fulfill all that God has for us in this great cause. Instead, we're called to engage in collective worship and fasting for the sake of discerning God's guiding voice. So think about the difference between being on a lazy river and being on a safari. Right? Lazy rivers are my favorite part of water parks. I like being on the big slides and the wave pool is a lot of fun, but I love the lazy river. You throw on your shades, you grab a cool drink, you hop into your inner tube and just chill. No effort, no struggle, just relax. But think about it. When you're vegging out on a lazy river, you're not going anywhere. You're literally just going in a circle. No progress, no movement. But compare that with going on a safari. When you're on a safari, you do have a guide. You do have a leader. But he's not just carrying you on his shoulders the whole way through. No, you've got to do something in preparation for this. You gotta lace up, you gotta strap up, you gotta get ready, you gotta get the gear, you gotta trudge through the mud and the thicket and the bush. You've gotta carry your equipment, you've gotta lean into this, put in work in order to really get somewhere and complete the journey and follow your God. Well, brothers and sisters, prayerful worship and fasting is for us the work to put in if we're gonna be guided. Prayerful worship and fasting is the activity we participate in whereby God's Spirit leads us. Now, worship may be clear enough to you. Worship is singing, praying, calling out to God together that His kingdom would come, that His gospel would save, that His Spirit would be unleashed. Through these times of worship, God leads us but fasting may not be as familiar to you. Simply put, however, fasting is a negative action, abstaining from food and other distractions for the sake of a positive action, 
and praying. So I'll say that again. Fasting is a negative action, saying no to food and other distractions, for the sake of a positive action, saying yes to worship and prayer. So fasting helps us feel our dependence on God and strengthen our prayers. Fasting helps us focus on our cause and eliminate distractions. So when you fast, every hunger pain is a reminder of why you're fasting. And so you then pray for that thing while you're fasting. So for example, I don't pray for the direction of our church like I always should, but when I fast for the sake of how God should lead us, then every empty knot in my stomach is a reminder, CT, you need God. CT, you are empty apart from God. You are unresourced apart from God. And my stomach, speaking to me like that, drives me to God, our king, our shepherd, our guide. So Christian, are you participating in this kind of worship and fasting and prayer? Within your church family, within your life group, are you setting aside times for focused, intentional, prayerful worship and fasting? Are you aware of the directional needs of our church? Are you aware of the decisions your fellow life group members are processing? These things aren't hard to find out. Have conversations, stay engaged, get to know people, and then bring them to the Lord in worship and fasting as a community. That's how God guides his church. Through a variety of gifts, through collective fasting and prayer, and next, through spiritual discernment. Through spiritual discernment. So look what happens when God's people seek him like this. The rest of verse two. While they were worshiping and fasting, the Holy Spirit set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. So God himself speaks here. The Spirit of God directs the people of God. God's voice of guidance is now discerned as Barnabas and Saul are set apart. This isn't guidance from some business guru. This isn't guidance through some mystical, super spiritual, uh, spiritual ritual. Nor is this guidance simply from wise and gifted, though they were definitely there. This is guidance from the king of heaven, the shepherd of souls. The Lord of hosts speaks to his army. It's guidance that is spiritually discerned in community through prayer under biblical leadership. This is what we're looking for. This is what our church needs if we are going to be able to say, our church is being guided by God. Our life group is being guided by God. Apart from these things, can we really Now, we don't know entirely, specifically, how this played out in real time, the Spirit speaking. Was it an audible voice? Was it an impression on their hearts? Was it the collective agreement of the church, as they could best tell? We don't know. And in the end, it doesn't really matter. What matters is 
that Luke can say with confidence, the Holy Spirit spoke. The Holy Spirit led. The Holy Spirit guided his people in this way. And that's what we want to be true of us. In his book, Celebration of Discipline, that I mentioned before, Richard Foster tells this story about God's guidance in the life of one man. He writes this. Once, a gifted young man asked my counsel about his future. The young man had graduated from college and was wrestling with whether or not to go into pastoral ministry. He had availed himself of all the vocational tests and guidance courses offered, and he was still undecided. I honestly didn't know what was best for him, and I suggested, suggested that he call a meeting for clarity. And so the man gathered a group of people who knew him well, a group of people who had spiritual maturity, a group of people who were unafraid to be honest and candid with him. And at this meeting, there were no earth-shattering visions given to my friend that night. But as this group worshiped and as they shared, they became a supporting community. And over a period of time, the gifts and the calling of that young man were confirmed. And today he is in the pastoral ministry. Now that's just one example of what this looked like in the life of one man. But that could take shape in any number of ways in your own life. I've walked with people looking for direction in whether or not to adopt a child. There's been people in our church seeking direction on whether or not to start a certain ministry, whether or not to start a life group. There's been people seeking direction on should I marry this person? Should I accept this job? Should I move to that town? And our church collectively faces these kinds of questions like, who should be our next kidsman director? Should we plan a new church? Who should lead this ministry? What ministries do we need? How do we handle this relationship issue? When do we start this new initiative? And we could go on and on like this. All of these situations in our own lives and in the life of our church need the guidance of God. We need to be able to say, Spirit spoke. We need to discern his voice for these different decisions. That's how God guides his people. Through a variety of gifts, through collective worship and fasting, through spiritual discernment, and fourthly, through missional leadership. Through missional leadership. So listen again to verses two and three. While they were worshiping the Lord and fasting, the Holy Spirit said, set apart for me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then, after fasting and praying, they laid their hands on them and sent them off. So the guidance offered by the Spirit is to identify Barnabas and Saul as the two who should be sent from the church in Antioch in order to take the gospel further out into the world, into the places where the gospel hasn't been announced yet. There is work yet to be done in God's mission of taking the gospel from Jerusalem to Judea to Samaria to the ends of the earth. And the Spirit is guiding the church toward fulfilling this task. And then after the Spirit makes clear through fasting and prayer, Luke says, they lay hands on Barnabas and Saul. 
and sent them off. And so their laying on of hands is a way for the church community to experimentally do what the Spirit said to do. Let's set apart Barnabas and Saul by laying hands on them like this. They are doing just that, setting apart, consecrating, commissioning these two leaders in order to send them out. Something similar happens in our culture, our culture of sports at least, on National Signing Day, as it's begun to be almost like a holiday. So if you're a football fan, I know National Signing Day is the first week of February because it's a holy day, it's a holiday. It's when you find out all the awesome players that hopefully signed with your team. So this is when high school athletes sign their letters of intent to play at whichever university they've chosen. And whenever this day comes, the high school athletic department makes a big fuss of it. There's decorations of the high school colors and their symbols. Everybody dresses up. The coaches are there. The parents of the student athlete are there. Friends and family are invited. And the big moment happens when the student athlete sits behind a table with his letter of intent in front of him, pen in hand, wearing the hat of his newly chosen college. The parents and the coach and oftentimes the principal stand behind him and of course, great photo op. Now of course, none of this has to happen, right? The high school athlete could just sign his letter of intent, drop it into the mail to his university. But these high school athletic departments put some intentionality and thought and purpose into sending out they're student-athletes. They are, in a sense, laying hands on them, consecrating them, identifying them for their new task of collegiate athletics. That is exactly what's happening here in Acts chapter 13. The community is not simply a community that exists for itself. No, it is a missional community. It is a community with the focused goal of making Christ known around the world. And it's that kind of community that the Spirit works through in order to guide His. So church, what would it look like for our primary goal not to necessarily add more and more people to our own church, but to send more and more leaders out for the sake of spreading the gospel. Generally speaking, we quantify, generally speaking, we quantify church health by how many people are coming in, how many people are attending. But what would it look like for us to start measuring church health by how many leaders are sending out in order to plant churches, in order to serve overseas, in order to support the work of the gospel where Christ is not known. The direction of the gospel certainly is inward. The direction of the gospel certainly draws us in to a loving Christ-centered community, but it also pushes us out to engage the world with the gospel. It's through this kind of missional community that God's voice is guiding God's people for God's mission. 
If we exist exclusively for ourselves as a church, the Spirit will be silent. We are a co- if we are a consumeristic, self-seeking, agenda-driven church, will ultimately extinguish our lampstand. It is happening hundreds of times over every year in this country. Jesus is saying, your lampstand is useless because you are not on mission. You exist for yourselves. You are consumers, not disciples. And I'm done with it. And the same thing will happen to us. If we are ultimately self-focused, self-centered, if we are exclusively about getting ourselves affirmed and comforted and built up, Jesus will put out our lampstand. Read Revelation chapter one through seven. But if our heart for the lost lines up with God's heart for the lost, if our passion for the nations lines up with God's heart for the nations, then that's a missional community wherein the Spirit works and guides His people. So ask your pastors and elders, ask your fellow life group members, how can I be a part of the mission of God here? Is it through a short-term mission trip? Is it through starting a new life group? Is it through initiating a Bible study at work? Is it beginning an outreach initiative somewhere in the community or joining an outreach initiative that's already in progress? There are countless ways that we can become the kind of missional, spirit-guided community that's exemplified for us here in Acts chapter 13. So, let's follow the leader. Follow the king of the heavenly kingdom. Follow the shepherd of the flock of God. Follow the father of the family of God. Follow the savior of the world. He is leading us. He is guiding us. He is maturing us for the sake of glorifying him and making disciples of all nations. This is our great purpose. This is our high calling. You are not here just to fill a seat. You are not here just to get a spiritual pick-me-up. You are not here for a country club-like experience where you get your fill and go home. You are here to be a part of something bigger than yourself. God is guiding his church into the future for his glory and for the salvation of the world. So let's band together as God's people. Let's utilize the various gifts we have and let's seek him through prayer and fasting. Let's discern the voice of the spirit and let's become the missional community we were meant to be. May it be so. In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, amen. Our Father in heaven, we're gathered here, your children. Lord of hosts, 
We're gathered here, your army on earth. Our shepherd. We're gathered here, your sheep. We're gathered together, your people. Woodside Lapeer. Father, division, resentment, frustration has pulled at the fabric of our unity hard over the last year. But God, we're still here. And it's all by your grace. And so we're gathered once more this morning and we've sat under your word this morning to hear from you through the scriptures and because we want to continue to hear from you in our families, in our life groups, our church as a whole, we want to hear your voice of guidance because we want to go forward, God. We want to go forward unified. We want to go forward in strength. We want to go forward with courage. We want to go forward with love. Love for one another, love for Lapeer, and love for the world. And so God, work. Do the work of humbling us to the point of prayer in a big, big way. Make this people a people of prayer. If we are nothing else, make us a people of prayer. Because we want to hear from you, God. And we want to make an impact in Lapeer and among the nations for you, God. So guide us, we pray, Father. Lead us, we pray, Father. Show us the way for the sake of Jesus. And by the power of the Holy Spirit, we all want it to happen. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.